a time that we have never, ever been in in our society before. America understands that our policing system is broken and that we need radical change. Portland, Oregon, of all places, still one of the widest major places in our entire country, being at the center of the national imagination around the Black Lives Matter movement. It must be something going on where all these white people are woke and they're feeling what black people feel. George Floyd's death represented police brutality. I am no one out there. I am a random person who saw George Floyd's video and couldn't sleep. There's been a lot of narratives around peaceful, non-peaceful, violent, non-violent, and every protest is a voice of the unheard. If you think to yourself, like, looking at the civil rights movement of the 50s and 60s, oh, I would have marched, I would have been at Selma, then you should be in the streets now, because that's what we're doing. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with the Oregonian. That was the first minute and a half of a new documentary from the Oregonian and Oregon Lives, Brooke Herbert, documenting the first hundred days of protests in Portland. We'll share a link to the video in the episode notes. Up next, Herbert talks about how she pulled together the documentary, along with help from the newsroom, what she hoped to accomplish, and what people involved say is the future of the movement. Here's our conversation. Brooke Herbert, thanks so much for taking time to talk about your uh, documentary looking at the the first hundred days of protest in Portland. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for having me. (laughs) You know, it's so hard to go about explaining what's going on in Portland to friends or family from out of town. So I I wonder, you know, for you, what was it like? How did you approach this project and kind of walk through your mindset when, when you started putting this all together? I think like where it started was we kept thinking, you know, we're going to hit a milestone. And, you know, first we were like, is the milestone three months of protest? Is it a summer of protest? Is it 100 days of protest? And it's kind of hard to determine that because this is something that's still unfolding. So Mm -hmm. it's it's not like we're looking back on an event that already happened or a time in history, you know, we're actually all living through it right now. And so it it was a little bit difficult to just to determine when we should, you know, try to put together something that kind of encompassed what's unfolded since late May, since the death of George Floyd. A hundred days is kind of a good marker and uh, kind of conveniently, it's also marking the end of summer. And so right. we, we kind of decided, I think we're at a point now where enough has happened that we should we should give our like readers and our viewers something that they can go to and, and kind of just get a glimpse of what's happened for over this over this course of this movement. It's pretty remarkable watching all the footage that you both shot and compiled just kind of how many different acts i guess we've seen um is that kind of how you approach putting it together um focusing on the different you know going in chronological order obviously but it it does seem like there was a 
there have been several different acts right to this um to this pretty remarkable ongoing series of of protests and demonstrations so with this huge amount of footage and such a complicated and multi-layered event it, it was helpful for me to kind of divide it into to what I see as three acts, which which kind of corresponds to the three months. So you have June, July, and August. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I kind of divided it that way to just make it somewhat digestible, <laughs> you know. Um, you know, I kind of thought that that June, you know, really started with with these huge marches throughout Portland. And this is, you know, shortly after... Uh, the death of George Floyd, that there were marches all over, not only Portland, but the country and even the world. So I kind of started there with, you know, these marches and and what people were feeling at the beginning. And, and that kind of started morphing into late June um, and then into July when the federal officers arrived in Portland and what we saw unfold there, which kind of brought Portland into national attention. And then things, you know, again, changed in August because the federal officers kind of stopped engaging with, with the protesters. And then in August, there was a bit of a turn back to marching to, you know, neighborhood uh police precincts, the police union building, um, it kind of, you know, took a turn from being downtown as much. But I mean, I want to say that (laughs) a video, which, or a film, which is edited together to be of a watchable length or digestible by a viewer is, is never going to tell the whole story. And it's inherently going to have parts that are missing or, or some voices which weren't included or a perspective which wasn't included. And that's kind of the nature of, of editing so much footage. I mean, yeah. How much footage (laughs) did you pour through? Uh, You read my mind there. How how much footage were you working with? So I kind of had many different sources of footage to go through. And, and one of those is that each night um, we've had photographers and then reporters go out to cover the protests and and they're always shooting, you know, clips on their phones. So a huge amount of, of what I had to go through was um, iPhone clips from reporters and, and photographers from the Oregonian. And so that was like something I want to say like 16 or 20 hours of mm. footage. And then I also just from, you know, following this and covering it for the past hundred days, have a lot of people, you know, independent journalists and protesters who post very, you know, prolifically on Twitter. And so there were a lot of videos actually on social media and on Twitter, especially that I thought were just really important moments to include. And so I kind of went through went through what I, what I wanted from Twitter. And then I would you know, need to reach out to, to the person who made that video and ask, you know, if it was okay, if I used it. And then, you know, also myself, since I'm, um, a filmmaker, I, I went out and shot my own footage on, 
you know, several nights throughout this. I interviewed about seven to 10 people for this project. So I also had that footage to go through. How did you decide um, the characters that would be best to to talk about the hundred days that we've had so far and how did you select them and and what kind of responses uh, did you get from, from those folks? So that's an interesting question because I, again, I want to reiterate that, you know, this isn't, I don't see this, this video as like the definitive source of what's transpired in Portland, but, but I did try to compile a list of people in Portland who I thought could speak to this moment, not just in terms of what's happened over the past three months, but also the history of, of, um, Black Lives Matter and the history of this movement, the people who know about, you know, how active Portland has been in mm-hmm. in kind of the protest scene for a long time. And and also people who could speak to to well, racial injustice, people who could speak to, you know, why they thought this movement was so was so is so different than what we've seen in the past in terms of its length momentum and i wanted to interview some protesters i i wanted to interview some city officials i wanted to interview um somebody who had been an activist for a long time just kind of and again, I mean, there is a huge list. I have, you know, a huge list of of people I would have loved to interview, but because of time or because they were unavailable, yeah. I, you know, I wasn't able to interview everyone who could offer every perspective possible to this. So I just had to eventually, you know, narrow it down and choose some people who I thought could speak could speak to the moment. Um, I, I thought it was, it was interesting and uh, helpful that you included some historical footage, um, of, um, you know, Malcolm X in particular, but I'm curious why you thought to do that and, and what you think, think it adds to the conversation or just how we, how we, uh, look at these times we're living in. I don't think that you can look at the Black Lives Matter movement and where it is right now without understanding the historical context. You know, I think a lot of people are informed by what they saw during the civil rights movement and in, you know, the centuries before in our country. And I think that I I had made this rough, what we call, you know, a rough cut. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just Myself and then, you know, some of our colleagues who I sent it to thought it was like kind of missing something like it was missing that. Why? Like, why are people doing this? And and what is the history of this? And that's kind of what when I started going to get some historical footage Um, and especially like in a couple of the interviews and in the piece, people, some of the protesters and, and leaders did talk about the legacy of, of, you know, of Martin Luther King, of, um, Malcolm X of, you know, and then I, of John Lewis and, you know, the famous scene of the March on Selma where, 
some of the people who had been demonstrating and marching were, you know, beaten with batons by police and tear gassed. And I just thought that those historical references could hopefully like paint a more complex picture of a very complex issue. Yeah, I think it was uh, Devin Boss um, Mm -hmm. made that point. Uh, One of the um, members of Rose City Justice Mm -hmm. uh, that you can't look at the at the long, um, long march for civil rights in this country without talking about both Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, that's something I kind of wanted to to touch on is that. I think when I was editing this piece, one of the themes that just kept coming up and which, you know, a lot of the rhetoric, which we've heard through this entire um, movement since late May is this debate or uh, argument uh, between people who say that, you know, all forms of protests are valid and then people who criticize or draw differences between, you know, violent and nonviolent protests, what constitutes violence, you know, is, Hmm. is, is burning down a building violence, um, is vandalism violence is, you know, what are these different ways in which people protest and then what constitutes a riot? What do people, um, just what do, especially, I mean, I want to be clear that the voices I most wanted to hear of were Black voices who could offer many different perspectives on the different ways that people protest. Because I think, again, like the people who are protesting and people who are involved with this movement, it's it's not a monolith it's not, you know, one group. It's not like Black Lives Matter is a group or right. protesters are a group. It's it's made up of many different people who, while, you know, they are for the most part united under a common goal of, you know, combating racial injustice and police brutality, they are many different people who who fall along a spectrum, I would say, you know, and that spectrum is, is very wide of, of the kind of protest that people do. Well, let's take a break and come back and talk a little bit more with Brooke Herbert, a videographer and photographer for the Oregonian about her documentary on the first hundred days of protests. So, Brooke, often anyone who's covered these protests, we get calls, we get emails saying, you know, what do people want? When is this going to end? Um, Going through the footage and talking to the people you interviewed for the documentary, uh, do you have any clarity whether there's any real agreement on what's next um, for this movement? How how does this end? Does it end? Hmm. That is a really good and really complicated question. And it's definitely like I had a list of questions that were common questions I asked of everyone I interviewed, um, which was the question of what's next? Um, You know, do you do you see this ending? 
And I got a very, you know, many varied responses to that question. And some leaned towards, you know, we don't want to talk about, you know, when this is going to end, like, when are we going to be quiet? That's not what this is about. This is about meaningful change. And I would say that over and over, I kept hearing that a movement like this doesn't have a like natural stopping point or it doesn't have um, a specific end goal. Like if this thing happens, this, this, these protests are over. I think that again, because it's made up of so many different people who want so many different things, you know, along a spectrum from those who want police reform or um, all the way to, to, people who believe that the you know the police system as we know it should be abolished people fall all along the spectrum and i think uh it's hard to say you know when is this over because i think people you know want to see meaningful change and you know it was interesting to talk to Joanne Hardesty because she was she said to me you know i'm actually really excited because I've never seen a time in my life, this this is coming from her, um, where so many people were kind of speaking out against injustice. And she said, you know, I, I'm excited because people are hungry for this conversation. And the fact that people are hungry for this conversation means that it's going to be a long conversation, you know? And, um, right. And I think, you know, I, I also interviewed the chief of police to ask, you know, his viewpoints on this. And he's, you know, he's a relatively new in that position. He's been police chief, I think, about three months. He was also talking about the desire to have a conversation about what's next. But I think a lot of, you know, protesters said to me, you know, I, this doesn't stop until police system is abolished. So again, I can't, especially like my, as myself, not, I can't answer that question. question And and I, I don't think it's the time, honestly, to answer that question. I think we're still early in this and I think there's a lot involved and yeah, I just think that question is impossible (laughs) to answer. Having spent so much time pouring through all, all this footage and talking to people and, and, um, I mean, did you come away with more clarity about about this moment or more confusion or, um, you know, because it is a ton to kind of comprehend while, while we're, you know, living through it and planning the next night and the next week of, of coverage. Uh, it can be daunting to be present, I guess. Mm, yeah, I don't I don't think that I was necessarily looking for clarity. I think, again, because we're still in the middle of this, I don't know that we're going to have clarity at this point. You can't, you know, look back on this moment and like we can look back on the civil rights movement and say, you know, over the course of that, what unfolded, what changes happened, how did people protest, what was effective, how did people, you know, combat injustice then? And it's hard to have clarity on something as it's happening. And I think like what I was more concerned with rather than like saying rather than being like a definitive source of what's happened, what people want, 
let's be clear about this. I think I was more interested in, in just hearing from people about what they thought about this moment as we're living through it. And I was more concerned with, um, and I think this is the nature too of, of a video of like a mm-hmm. short film is that I think what's most effective is, is to, ta- is to hear from people who want to express their lived experience through this time. And so I was more concerned with people's motives, with their like lived experiences, with their perspective. What what will stick with you from, from conversations you had or, or footage uh, that you poured through over, over the many, many hours you spent editing this thing together? Yeah. I think the thing that stands out to me the most is getting back to the heart of what this movement is about, which is about racial justice. And, um, and it's about people who have felt that their voices haven't been heard historically, people of color. And, you know, we, we see in, you know, and, and we're a news organization and, Mm-hmm. You know, we see just nightly coverage. You know, we have we we have this nightly coverage, which is which is kind of like the the who, what, when, where. You know, of the events that unfolded, and you see images of of so much tear gas. You see images of you know fires being set. You see images of of fireworks and of you know protesters in the streets, um, people holding signs. There's, there's so many layers of this. And I think the thing that sticks with me the most were, were the interviews. So to actually sit with someone for an hour and talk about what this means to them, whether that's a protester or an activist or, um, Demetria Hester, who I interviewed for this, to actually sit with people and listen to them was was probably the most like powerful part of this for me. And and I think that's I think that's something we need to do more is to actually sit with people uh, across that spectrum that I talked about and talk and talk with them about this movement, what it means to them, where they're coming from, what they hope for this time, what their hope for the future is. I think what we see with this movement and and what you see, you know, when you read news stories or when you see this covered in the national news, or even when you watch this, this film is that, you know, what we see is just like a a tiny bit of it. It's it's really just a glimpse. Um, And there's like, there's so many layers and so many nuances to this movement that I, I think it's a time where we should be listening. We should be educating ourselves, listening to people and, and really opening ourselves up to, to trying to understand what this movement is about. And I think that's the way that you can, you know, cover it fairly or as fairly and comprehensively (laughs) as we can, given, given (laughs) Given our our human limitations. (laughs) Right. Yeah. We're very limited. And, um, (laughs) And so this is just one piece of, of a big puzzle. Thanks so much, Brooke, for taking the time to put this uh, massive project together along with, uh, you know, other folks in the newsroom who contributed. And uh, we appreciate you talking about it. 
Thanks, Andrew. It was nice talking to you. Thanks for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. Watch Brooke's documentary and read all of the Oregonian and Oregon Live's coverage on the first 100 days of protests at OregonLive.com. Please leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts if you like the show. It helps others find the program. Until next time.